Hey, thank you so much for um, allowing me to be here with you this morning. I don't take this privilege lightly, the privilege to open up God's Word. And I pray that as we come to the end of our time this morning, you will have heard a word from God. And so thank you for that opportunity. Let me also say, you know this, but you are a blessed church. You have an incredibly gifted preacher, a strong leader, a compassionate and loving pastor in my brother Paul. And I know I'm a little partial on that, but I think that it's true. And let me also thank you for loving my mom well. Um, it's not difficult moving eight hours from the place that you've lived pretty much all of your life. But, um, but you, her Mission Hill family, has made this move easy. She has fallen in love with you, the people. She has fallen in love with you, the church. And so thank you so very much. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're not going to stay in Matthew 16, but that's where we're going to start this morning. Back in 1999, I moved our family to Orlando, Florida, the home of, the home of Universal Studios, the home of SeaWorld, the home of Gatorland Zoo, and of course, the home of the Magic Kingdom. The Magic Kingdom opened in 1971, and from then until now, they have had over 20 million visitors every single year. 20 million visitors. And those 20 million visitors eat a whole lot of food. Every year, the visitors to the Magic Kingdom eat 7 million hamburgers. They eat a half a million pounds of mac and cheese. They eat 2 million pounds of watermelon. And that's only a few of the things that they eat. They eat a lot of food. There are over 30, 350 chefs who make all of that food. Now, you're probably asking, where do all of the people that go to the Magic Kingdom stay? Well, the Magic Kingdom has 30,000 guest rooms. Not talking about Orlando. I'm talking about the Magic Kingdom. In the Magic Kingdom, there are 30,000 guest rooms. That's a whole lot of rooms for a whole lot of guests. And you probably think with, with 20 million guests every single year eating so much food, staying in that many rooms, they make a mess. The Magic Kingdom must be a dirty place, but really it's not. There is a trash can every 30 feet at the Magic Kingdom. And they have this trash system that is underground. The trash moves at 60 miles per hour underground to a central place where all of the trash is taken. 60 miles an hour. There are over 70,000 people who work at the Magic Kingdom. Back when the Magic Kingdom first opened, it cost $3.50 a day to go. $3.50. Now, it's $109 for a single day pass to a single park. Now, the Magic Kingdom is a pretty incredible place. 
I mean, all of the glitz and the glamour, the rides, the shows. And if that's not enough for you, they have princes. They have princesses walking around. But what you need to understand about the magic kingdom is the magic kingdom isn't a real kingdom. It's an amusement park. Nobody lives at the magic kingdom. There isn't a king who sits on the throne of the magic kingdom. But today I want us to focus on the king and the kingdom. Today is perhaps the most important day in the history of your church. Because today you're going to be making commitments that will determine the future of what you do for the kingdom of God. And then over the last several weeks, you've been in this campaign that you have called for. It's for you. It's for you because this campaign is giving you an opportunity to focus on and reach your one. And so who is your one? Who is that person that you desire to reach more than anyone else for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, so that they will know the love of Jesus? For is for you. For is for the next generation, the preschoolers, the children, the students who go to Mission Hill and, and who live in the community around Mission Hill. And I think that each of you would agree that, that the kids that are growing up today are, are growing up in a different world than most of us grew up in. The things that, that my children and my grandchildren are facing today are far different than anything that I faced growing up. Far as for the next generation. Far as for the city, Tampa, which is one of the fastest growing cities in the world. A city that is made up of people from all over the world that need to hear about the love of Jesus. And far as about the nations. The people that live in other places, other countries that don't have access to the gospel, but, but they need a church like Mission Hill to share the good news of the gospel with them. But most of all, far is about the king and the kingdom. Now, the reality is most Christians today don't talk about the kingdom. We talk about the church. We talk a lot about the church, and don't get me wrong, the church is important. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ, and, and one day the bride will be presented spotless before the throne of God. And, and the church is the body of Christ. The church is the vehicle through which Jesus works while he is in heaven. And the Bible tells us that Jesus' desire is to build his church. And yet, when I look at the church and, and I look at the impact that the church is having on the world and on society today, it doesn't seem like we're making much of an impact. To be honest with you, it doesn't seem like we're winning. It seems like the world is winning and I think the reason is because we're focusing on the church and not on the kingdom. You see, when Jesus was here on this earth, his focus wasn't the church. His focus was the kingdom. 
In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said this. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. Jesus was sent from heaven to earth to preach the good news of the kingdom. The word church is only found three times in the Gospels. But the word kingdom is found 127 times. A large portion of the stories that Jesus told, the parables that he gave, focused on the kingdom of God. You see, the church is not the ultimate aim. The kingdom is. The church is simply the, the conduit through which God is working in this present age to build his kingdom. You need to understand that. The kingdom is forever. The church is for this age. But, but what did Jesus teach about the kingdom? Well, as you read through the New Testament, you discover that, that the kingdom is talked about as a present reality and a future hope. There are times when, when Jesus would say, the kingdom is already here. There were other times when Jesus would say the kingdom is near. In one sense, when Jesus came, he ushered in the kingdom. And, and those who received Jesus become a part of his kingdom. But in another sense, we know that the kingdom is not yet come. There is something more. There's something better that we're longing for, that we're waiting for. You see, the kingdom is our future hope. The future hope that every follower of the king is looking forward to. A kingdom where there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain. A kingdom where wars and rumors of wars will be things of the past. A, a kingdom where hatred and division will be done away with. A kingdom where the lion will lay down with the lamb. A kingdom where the little child will, will play with the deadly serpent and not be harmed. A kingdom, yes, give God a hand. A kingdom where, where all of the evil in this present age will be gone and Jesus will make everything new. That's our future hope. But the kingdom is also a present reality where the rule and reign of Jesus is already being seen. Because you see, wherever the king is, his kingdom is to be found. And so if Jesus is ruling and reigning in your life, then the kingdom is being manifested in your life. Now, if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, I want to give you a little bit of background. Jesus had, had been dialoguing with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, and, and then he took his disciples, and he went to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And while he was there, along with his disciples, he asked them a question. He said, who, who do the people say that I am? The disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say that you're one of the other prophets that have risen from the dead. And, and then Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, but who do you say I am? And without hesitation, Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's when Jesus said in verse 18, some of the most powerful words in Scripture he said, on this rock, 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, verse 18 is a pretty powerful verse. Jesus tells his disciples that his church will be built on that affirmation, that that statement that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the advancement of the kingdom. Some people... Some people read that verse and they they think that the church is is gathered in this building hiding behind these gates and the gates are there to protect us against Satan and hell. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says that the church is advancing the gospel into the places of hell and setting free the captives and nothing Absolutely nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. Listen, when you and I focus on Jesus, when our churches focus on Jesus, and we don't get distracted by all the other things that can so easily distract us, Jesus said the gates of hell will not be able to stop you. But then, it doesn't stop. In verse 19, Jesus moves to his ultimate purpose. And he tells us here, the ultimate purpose is not the church. The ultimate purpose is the kingdom. Notice what he says. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I I want you to reach into your pocket or into your purse and take out your keys. Take your keys out. I want you to hold on to your keys for the rest of our time together. Take them out of your pocket, take them out of your purse, and hold on to these keys. And I want you to be reminded as you hold on to these keys, as you feel these keys throughout our time together, that you have been given the keys to the kingdom. What you open, no man can close, and what you close, no man can open. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. You have the opportunity. You have the privilege. You have the access to open the door to the kingdom to all of the world. And that's what you're supposed to do. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. Now, I don't know how it is at your house, but not everybody has keys at my house. I mean, you got to be a part of the family to have the keys. But when you're a part of the family, you're given keys, and you can come and go as you please. You can invite anyone you please. You can come and eat and fellowship and stay and hang out because you're a part of the family. And anyone you invite is now part of the family. And Jesus said, you have been given the keys to the kingdom. Now, I want to share with you three things about kingdom living this morning that I think are important wherever you are. And and I believe with all my heart there are going to be some of you here today that need to hear this first truth. There are others that you need to camp out on the second truth. And there's some that you need to just go on to the third truth. But, But the reality is 
these truths about kingdom living, they speak to each of us. Now here's the first truth. We enter the kingdom through a narrow gate. There's only one way to get into the kingdom, and that's through the narrow gate. Jesus made it clear over and over again that if we're going to enter his kingdom, we can't enter it the way the world enters their kingdom. We enter the kingdom differently than the world. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is preaching a a message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And, And in verse 13, he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. There's not many ways, there's not multiple ways, there's one way to enter God's kingdom and that's through the narrow gate. And then he says the highway to hell is broad, its gate is wide, there are many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow, the road is difficult and only a few people ever find it. The gate, the door, the entrance to the kingdom of God, it's it's narrow. And that word narrow is the Greek word stenos, it's the word we get our word stenosis from. Back at the end of August, I had back surgery. I had five herniated discs, and I had a problem that seems to come on you as you get older. I had stenosis of of the vertebra. Stenosis is when the vertebra begins to narrow, and as it narrows, what happens is the nerves that go in the vertebra, inside the vertebra, they are now being pushed on by the vertebra. And so the nerves are now touching the vertebra. They're touching bone. And I can tell you from experience, when that happens, it doesn't feel good. And so they go in and they they cut off the back of the vertebra. And then they, they begin to shave the vertebra out so that it is not as narrow as it was before so that the nerves aren't touching it. You see, that's what happens when you have stenosis. It's a narrowing, a narrowing of the arteries. It's a narrowing of the vertebra. But understand, we may be able to go in and we may be able to clean out arteries and fix a narrowing of the arteries. We may be able to go in and and clean out the vertebra and, and make the vertebra a little more wide. But you can't do that when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. There's only one way to enter, and it is narrow. It's so narrow that you can only go in one at a time. You can't enter the kingdom as a group. You see, some of us have this idea that because my family is a part of the kingdom, I'm entitled to be in the kingdom. But no, you have to enter the kingdom on your own. Others of us have this idea that because we live in America, and America is a Christian nation, therefore we're a Christian, we're a part of the kingdom. But no, you don't enter the kingdom that way. You enter the kingdom individually, one at a time. It is so narrow that you have to individually make a decision and make a choice for Jesus to enter the kingdom. But here's the deal. You can know about Jesus You can know who he is, you can know what he's done, and you still not be a part of the kingdom. Later on in in chapter 7, Jesus said this, he said, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Jesus said that there are going to be many people, many people on the judgment day who say, Lord, 
Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many wonderful works? Did we not preach and prophesy in your name? Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Just because we know the facts about Jesus doesn't mean that we know Jesus. Not everyone that says Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a narrow way. It is so narrow that there are people who know who he is, who know what he has done, who still aren't going to be a part of the kingdom. Jesus said in, in Matthew 19, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that word change, it means to turn. Jesus said, unless you're willing to turn from the way you presently live, turn from the world you're living in, turn from the way you presently live your life, unless you're willing to turn from that, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So how do we enter it? How do we get into this kingdom? Because I got to tell you, I believe every one of us wants to be a part of that kingdom. I mean, Jesus is the king. And he is going to rule and reign forever. And you're not going to want to miss his kingdom. So how do you get there? Well, Jesus' very first message, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said this. He said, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus said there are two things that we do to enter the kingdom. We repent of our sins. We turn from sin. You see, you need to understand that, that salvation isn't being saved from hell. Hell is a byproduct of our sin. Salvation is being saved from sin. We turn from sin. We no longer want to live under sin's control. We no longer want to live under sin's rule. Each and every one of us are born into a sinful world. And each and every one of us are born with a sinful nature. And we realize that we have no control. That sin is ruling and reigning in our life. And we want to be set free. And so we turn from sin. And when we turn from sin, we place our trust in the only one that can help us. And that's Jesus. And we trust what Jesus did on the cross to take our sins away and save us. And I'm here to tell you, listen, when you turn from sin and place your complete trust in Jesus, a transformation happens in your life. You're changed. You're changed from the inside out. Everything becomes new. Jesus talked about this with one of the religious leaders of his day. His name was Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You see, the Bible teaches that when we turn from sin and we place our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. 
And the Holy Spirit makes us new. It's as if we were born a second time. We're given a fresh start. We're given a new beginning. For me, that happened when I was nine years old. I mean, at nine years old, you haven't done a whole lot of bad, horrible, terrible things. But I knew at nine years old, I was a sinner. I was lost. And I needed a Savior. And on a Sunday morning in Hartsville, South Carolina, when the invitation was given, I got out of my seat. I went to the front. My dad was the preacher. I took him by the hand and said, I need to be saved. I don't remember everything that I prayed, but I remember that I asked Jesus to forgive me. I asked him to save me. And I gave everything I knew of myself to everything I knew of Jesus. And at that moment, my life was changed. He changed my life. And and I'm here to tell you that if you've been born again, there is a moment in your history where your life was changed. The Apostle Paul was talking about this to the church at Corinth, and this is what he said. He said, and when we are born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit changes our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. When we're born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit changes our lives. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were once just like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let me ask you a question. Have you entered into the kingdom through the narrow way? The narrow way is turning from your sins, trusting Jesus, and being born again. If you have been, everything in your life has changed. Jesus made everything new. That's the first step to kingdom living. You enter in through the narrow gate. Here's the second thing you need to understand. We experience the kingdom when we surrender to the king's rule and reign in our life. We enter the kingdom through the narrow gate, but we experience the kingdom of God internally in us as we surrender to God's rule and reign in our life. You see, that's God's desire for your life. God desires for you to live a life of complete obedience and submission to Him. After all, He's our creator. He made us. He created us. He knows what is best for us. And when He gives us things to do, He has given us those things because He wants the best for us. And He wants us to trust Him and live our lives in submission to Him. And we want that. As long as God is meeting our needs, doing what we want, and making life comfortable for us. But when God asks us to step out of our comfort zone, when God asks us to do something that isn't focused on our desires and our wants and our wishes, we we back up and, and we rebel. But you need to understand, 
When we give our life to Jesus, we don't live in a democracy. We don't live in a republic. We live in a kingdom. And you're not the one on the throne. Jesus is. And when we become a part of his kingdom, we are surrendering our lives to his rule and reign. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this, this rule and reign in our lives. He, he begins by talking about prayer. And, and he tells us this as we pray. He says, you need to pray this way. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, that's the way we pray. We pray that God's kingdom rule will come to our lives as God's kingdom rule is already being played out in heaven today. Now, how do you think God's kingdom rule is being acted out in heaven? Perfectly? Completely? Obediently? Without a doubt, isn't it? And Jesus said that when we pray, we need to pray that God's kingdom rule will come in our lives as God's kingdom rule is already being done in heaven. That's how Jesus begins Matthew 6. He ends Matthew 6 with these words. In verse 33, he said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek first the kingdom of God and, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus starts by saying you need to pray God's kingdom come in your life as it is in heaven. And then Jesus ends this section by saying we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then in between, do you know what Jesus talks about? He, he talks about one of the primary ways that we can give evidence that we are living our lives under the king's rule. He talks about money. We don't like to talk about money in church, do we? Oh, no. That's, that's when the pastor meddles, right? You know, you can talk to me about how I should live. You can talk to me about, you know, how I should treat my wife or my husband. But don't talk to me about how I use my money. And yet Jesus says that the way that we view money is a primary indicator of how the kingdom is ruling in our life. Listen to what Jesus said in, in verse 19 and follow it. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where where malls eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where malls and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Where your treasures are, your heart will be. You see, one of the primary ways that we can see whether we are living kingdom lives is by how we look at money and by how we manage our money. If God sets you down right now and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, and he opened up your checking account and your savings account and the different investments that you may have, would God say that you are living your life to advance the kingdom 
Or would he say that you're living your life to advance your kingdom? Back several years ago, 2009, we started a campaign to relocate our church. And and back at that time, we had three kids still living in our house. One was away at college. And if you've got kids at home, you know you don't have... You don't have a lot of disposable income. I mean, everything's tied up with school and with food and with clothes for kids, those kind of things. But, but we were committed to what we were doing. We were committed to this relocation of our church because we knew that it would give us the opportunity to reach so many more people for Jesus. And so my wife and I prayed, and, and we made a commitment that for us at that point in time was a major commitment. We made a commitment that for three years we would give a double tithe. And we looked at what that amount was and for three years we made a commitment that we were going to give a second tithe over and above our tithe to, to our campaign. And we did that and it was just this incredible experience of being able to trust God during this difficult time. But then we had another campaign several years ago and three years ago actually two years ago actually now and this campaign was to help us get out of debt so that we could free up more resources as a church to to plant churches in the Midlands of Columbia to to plant churches along the northeast coast of the United States and to to send missionaries to unreached unengaged people groups around the world and and so my wife and I were talking about what we wanted to to pledge for this campaign and between the time that we relocated and this time, all of our kids were grown and married and they were out of the house. So we had some more disposable income. We had some more income that we were able to use. And, and so we talked and we prayed and we decided we were going to give twice as much as we gave to that campaign to relocate. We felt really good about that. I mean, it was a generous gift. It was a substantial gift for us. But before we could ever make the commitment, God spoke to me. And he spoke to me as clearly as, as he has ever spoke to me. And he said, I want you to double your double. <laughs> and I, I thought for a second, and I was thinking, now, I'm, I, obviously that was not God speaking. <laughs> but then, I mean, God clearly said, I want you to double what you were going to double. And I went home and I told my wife, and I'm thankful that I have a wife that trusts God and, and trusts me. And she said, if you believe that God has told you that, then let's do it. So we made this commitment to give for us this huge gift. And I want to tell you how God works. When you begin to live your life financially under kingdom principles, this is what God does. So we're two years into our campaign. And we have almost, in the next two months, we will have completed our commitment already within two months. We are going to be able to give much more than we even thought possible because we are willing to step out and trust God and live by financial kingdom principles. And I wonder... 
I wonder who God is speaking to today in regard to that. Because if you want to experience the kingdom in your life, if you want to experience God's rule and reign in your life, you're going to have to be willing to step out in faith and trust God for what seems like impossible. But if you do, listen, if you do, God will show up and He will do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. And you will see God move in your life. You will see God move in your church and you will see God build his kingdom I'm here to tell you there's nothing better than experiencing God's rule and reign in your life as you trust him for what seems impossible what doesn't make any sense you enter the kingdom through a narrow gate You experience the kingdom internally as you surrender to God's rule and reign in your life. But then there's a final thing I want you to see, and that's this. We expand the kingdom as we live selfless lives for the glory of God. In Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus is preaching a message about the end times. And and he says this, and he says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. Then the end will come. Then the kingdom will come. The good news will be preached to all the nations so that all the world will be able to hear. Then the kingdom will come. You see, God wants you to live a selfless life, giving up your comfort, giving up your resources, giving up whatever to expand his kingdom because it's not about you. It's not about the church. It's about the kingdom. The kingdom will last forever. And when we invest in the kingdom, our investments will last long after us. So where are you today? Where are you? You still holding that key? Still got it? You've been given keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom may be manifested in a variety of ways in your life. They're going to be manifested through the power of your testimony as you share the gospel, God's story and your story. It's going to be manifested as you use your gifts and abilities to serve God and others in this church setting. And the keys are going to be seen as you sacrificially live your life using what God has given you to build His kingdom, to reach others. You've been given keys. The question is, how are you going to use them? Are you going to use them to build his kingdom or yours? Are you going to use them to build his kingdom or to live in the kingdom of this world? That won't work out good for you. I'm here to challenge you this morning to lay it all on the table for the kingdom. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't entered the kingdom through the narrow gate through Jesus, then I want to invite you, humble yourself 
Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus. Let his spirit come live in you and make you brand new. And discover what it means to live the way you were created to live. If you're here and you haven't been experiencing the kingdom internally in your life because you're not living under his rule and reign. You're living as if you're on the throne. Stop it. Get off the throne and let Jesus sit where he's supposed to be sitting in your life and trust him and watch what he can do as king for you if you'll only trust him. You may be here and God's telling you that he wants you to expand his kingdom in in some radical way. There may be some of you that He's calling right now to to go overseas. He's calling you to preach or to teach or to to lead worship or to serve in some other capacity to to expand his kingdom all around the world. And it sounds crazy and scary. But you know that's what he's calling you to do. And I'm simply here to tell you today to step out and do he's calling you to do don't miss it I want you to bow your head close your eyes and if you're here and you've never entered God's kingdom you've never been born again you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has changed your life but you want him to then I want to encourage you today to humble yourself before him and pray this prayer to him right now dear God I humbly come to you today asking you to forgive me I've been living like I was God I've been living like I was on the throne living life my way instead of yours forgive me I don't want to live that way anymore Jesus I know you came to this earth I know you died on the cross to pay for my sins I know you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me right here, right now I'm asking you to save me I'm giving my life to you take control fill me with your spirit make me brand new I pray thank you for hearing my prayer Jesus with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. Maybe you're here today and you know you've been saved. And yet you know you haven't been living your life under the king's rule. And today, you're willing to lay it all down for him. That's where you're at. Pray this prayer. 
Jesus, thank you for saving me. I know that you've changed my life. But I've been living life my way. Forgive me. I'm tired of wasting my life. I want to invest in your kingdom. I want to expand your kingdom. So today, I'm surrendering everything to you. My relationships, my finances, my occupation, everything. Use it for your glory, Jesus. Show me what you want to do, I pray. Don't waste your life. Use it for the kingdom.